and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and I am joined today, ladies and gentlemen, as you seem to be taking up the poll position, this is going to be the beginning of our next episode, and as we've done for several episodes in a row, uh, every round, this is Jennifer Schlickburn's turn at the mic. Welcome, the game pioneer. Jennifer, how you doing? I'm doing great. And yourself, Tom? I'm doing pretty good. I, I you know, listen, this is this is uh, this is quite the year. I think it's about one year now since uh, since the since we stopped gaming in person or my, the, the, the game brain crew has stopped gaming in person. It's been a year. It's been a full year. Well, it's been a full year for most of us, not you. <laughs> You, Sneaky Pete, you figured a way around it. I am so, so jealous. Can we say that that you that you formed a covid bubble of people that that uh, of a very small group of people that you trust and you have been you've been in person gaming since when? May. Oh, oh, (laughs) so jealous. But what's really what's really awesome Mm. is one of the people. Okay, folks, none of these people are it part of the part of the pod. These are right. these are people in LA, but they aren't part of the pod. One of them I hadn't been gaming with in literally like years. And then he, you know, we were somehow talking and he goes, Well, you know, I think I can trust you to stay well and to do everything that is um healthy and so mm-hmm. we both all of us bruce i and he went and got a covid test to make sure we were going to start out negative you know that was important to him and it was important to me too because as we know various behaviors mm-hmm. make you more likely to re- to get covid and are you, you talking know, about my attending of uh late night raves is that what you were mentioning uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good idea. And then the bar scene, you know. But see, neither he nor I nor Bruce, we don't do bars. We don't really do much of anything. <laughs> and, you know, he has very old parents. And, you know, it was very important to him that he not kill off his parents, right? Heck yeah. So, you know, when we when he came over, you know, we all masked. All masks all the time. Never without masks. Excellent. Um, hand sanitizer at the table. Yep. If you touched your face uh-huh. anywhere, you had to hand sanitize. Okay. Did, yeah, did not tolerate touching uh, the face, no matter where it was. Um, you know, if you thought you might have been exposed or whatever, then you did quarantine. Sure. And or you got tested. Right. You know, and then we added another friend of mine and um, she also doesn't go places. She doesn't. She's not a, you know, a crowd person. Mm-hmm. She's more, you know, of a private person. And, you know, like she saw her in-laws over the summer. Well, she didn't come and see us. For another two weeks after that, and then you know to make sure she didn't have it. So um, no, they've been great. They've been absolutely fantastic. That's wonderful. And it's, it's been a- so much of a relief because for me, no gaming and no sports was like every day didn't matter. Yeah. 
And yeah. the day was the same. And then if I knew that my friends were coming over on Saturday, okay, well, it's Wednesday, which is three days from Saturday. <laughs> and, and that's how you get and that's how you get through a pandemic. I think that's fantastic. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad we didn't bring it up until now because I think some people have tried to form pods and all it takes is one person one time to to make a bad decision and suddenly that pot is in, in trouble but it sounds like you made you you made clear that even if somebody was there they were still masked they were still hand sanitizing and all that sort of stuff i, I think you did yeah. the proper and and i i personally thought that when you were uh tagging those people with those gps tags in, 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 through their ears so that you could follow them <laughs> everywhere they went i thought that was a little much <laughs> You know, you know, I, okay, I, you use the same ones. When I make um, the Google CEO salary, I'll, I'll think about that. All right. Because I, <laughs> I thought that was a little extreme. I thought, you know, and where did you, where did you find a, a marine biologist to get those tags anyway? I'm that telling was you, really? Weird. No, 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 no. I never <laughs> even asked. Because uh, you can't form trust that way. Yes. Either we're in it or we're not. If I ever would have had a question, we would have been out. Hundred percent. Yeah. Listen, I game with my family, right? I game with. Right. We we got four people that game, but sometimes my my daughter will go out on a on a walk with a friend, and I'll be picking her up, and I'll be like, "You were standing a little close, weren't you?" And she's like, "Daddy, I was really careful. Don't you worry about it. I'm being super super careful." I go, "Well." I just don't want you to kill your old man. <laughs> I know. I know. You know? And, and that's the whole thing. But no, we were always, you know, we never let our guard down. That's Not cool. once. Fantastic. Not once did we take off our mask because they were uncomfortable or whatever. You know, it was, no, it was really a very trusting experience. And it's so nice to have friends that you can really rely on. Yes. You know, I'm very fortunate. Very fortunate. So, so true. Ladies and gentlemen, this is round 11, if you can believe it, turn one. And today we're going to be talking about the 2020 release, Winter Kingdom, by Donald X himself, Donald X Vaccarino. And we'll be dissecting what competition means and what it doesn't mean in games. What are things that make games competitive, which is interesting, right? You would think that yes. by definition, every game is competitive, but no. there are, well, I think to a certain definition they are, but, but there are, there are, there is a whole spectrum under which competition can exist. Okay. I will accept that. Yeah. There you go. There Barely. You go. Why don't we get right into this week's game night? Jennifer, what have you been playing lately? Well, we've been playing Winter Kingdom. Sure. We've been playing Hallertau. Mm -hmm. We've been playing Dominant Species Marine, Ooh. which I know your group really wants to get back into. <laughs> Look, I do want to try it again. I saw, I saw a post where you described something that happened, and that gave me great pause that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that maybe my my hopes for marine uh, being different than dominant species are not going to come to pass, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I'm gonna do my video on it, guys. I'm made Dina on 
YouTube. Please. And I'm going to talk about how I think the game pod would approach the game. Got it. Okay? Good. Because I never played Dominant Species with the the pod. So this is all going to be speculation. It's possible that you and I did play it at, uh, at Strategicon. I'm not positive, but I feel like we did. Okay, but we didn't play with Paul and Dimitri. No, and, correct. correct. You know, right. I think it was so. you you and me and, and a couple other people that were not on the right. team. So. Um, yeah, we should mention this uh, big time. You are a YouTube star. You have a <laughs> – you are. You're, you're Jennifer Schlickburn, the, the, the pioneer, is putting out videos of – you're doing reviews, you do unboxing – you are you're like an overnight sensation. You're crushing it, and, and uh, I see it posted a lot on the Geek. I noticed on the Geek, people are talking about it, and on and on YouTube. Why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about your uh, about, about your channel, about what you're doing? Uh, I my channel's name is Maybina M A Y V as in Victor E E N A, and you know um, my son is a producer for a um, two million plus sub uh, channel. And I've been talking with him for years. Um, you know, I kind of want to do this, but I can't buy my place, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, after the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and I and the alma mater discussion, I realized that, you know, there are people who probably would like to know, you know, how um, the hobby was back in the day and mm-hmm. um, uh, wanting to hear black voices in the hobby. Mm-hmm. And so I started out with my Anno 1800 unboxing, which like really blew up, right? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, that was pretty amazing. I mean, even Cosmo saw it and said, oh, thank you. It was great. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. So what the channel is, okay, one of, the, one of the things about me is I have the attention span of a, like a five-year-old, right? So my videos are short. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm making the videos that I would want to watch. And they're really focused, really, on heavy gamers and how they may look at a game. They are absolutely not tutorials and they aren't, oh, the components are like this and blah, 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 blah. No. Well, what I'm talking about is what I feel I would want to hear as a heavy gamer and should I buy this game or play this game and what is in this game for a heavy gamer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And right, and so like I said, yeah, for I'm I'm gonna do one very soon for Dominant Species Marine. It's gonna be the first one though that doesn't have an existing tutorial explanation, which is gonna be kind of bad because like what I normally do, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's a million uh, videos on Paris, so I don't need to go through Paris, right. you know. You know, yes, and I absolutely. said, no, go and watch those. <laughs> but in this particular situation, that's not going to happen. And people are just going to have to be left hanging. Sorry about that, folks. But hey. I am, okay. I'm, I'm just not the one for a half hour or a three hour ah! um, <laughs> video. 
Uh, that's great. That's I, I'm super happy. Uh, I've I've watched I've watched every episode of yours except for the one where you're reviewing this game that we're going to be talking about today because right. I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. Right. Um, me for, for this week's game night, I've been playing uh, Terraforming Mars. Crokinole with the wife is still going well. Uh, Winter Kingdom, of course. Played some Santiago. I, I love that game. I really do. Uh, it's, really. Oh, it's such a it's such a joy. Um, I like how simple it is, and yet how complicated it gets with the the the, the bidding for the various tiles. And the person who is the canal overseer, the person that got the worst tile, gets to you know sort of demand bribes of people in order to decide where the water goes because any field that's unwatered is gonna just is is gonna just die on you and uh, yeah well see i want to play that game with you folks because when i played it no one was what competitive Right? <laughs> I don't I don't understand how you can play that game that way. I don't understand it. Well, if you keep being bringing in new players and they never seem to really get it. And so yeah. it just kind of sat there and I sold my copy, but it sounds like the way you guys are playing is the way I want to play. I you know what? It it it's a it it depends on the person. I've had really great success bringing this game to people that are not gamers. I recently, uh, just before the pandemic, that we had a, a game night, and it was myself, a friend that you know is, is you know comes to game nights occasionally, and three other people that uh, have never played one of these games before, and I brought out Santiago, explained the rules to them, and the first turn it was a little iffy. I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. The second round of the game. Everybody was into it, and one of the guys who had never played a, a hobby game before was suddenly just role-playing the role of the canal overseer and saying, look, I I would rather put, my, put this pipe into the ocean than feed your field if you give me just that little bit of money. You better, you better up that money. And he was, he was extorting people. <laughs> it was, and everybody else was getting into it. They were like, well, okay, well, what if you put in one? No, 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 we, we have other options. We don't need him. It was wonderful. <laughs> and these are people like, yeah, like I said, so it, it's, I think it has more to do with temperament than game experience because some people with no game experience whatsoever just grasp what the game is, what the game is, is leading you to do. You know, it's sort of like there's a, there's an emergent behavior in the game that sometimes non-gamers grasp really quickly, which I love. Um, yeah. The other thing I played is Wavelength, which is actually another game that that uh, that goes over like gangbusters with non-gamers. It's just one of these really, really interesting. I, I think it's probably the most interesting party type game of the last several years. There have been great ones. I think Just One is a is a great party game that came out very recently. But Wavelength is is a real difference maker. It's a very, very different game in a lot of ways. I love games that simulate uh, telepathy you know games where the entire point of the game is to try to get into somebody's brain figure out how they work and you know and and nail exactly what their thought process is that's that's a very satisfying experience for me when it works and a very <laughs> and a tremendously frustrating experience when it doesn't but but the fun kind of frustration like ah no <laughs> 
uh, yeah, and that's it for that's it for for game night for for me this past past week. Um, but uh, yeah, hopeful that I too will be doing more in person gaming very very soon. Jennifer, what say we get to the news? Sound good? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Good evening, Mr. Wilson, off of South America. All the tips and clippers to see. Let's go to press. Kind of big news here. Summoner Wars is returning. Summoner Summoner Wars was a big, big game. What how, was it? Eight years ago? Ten years ago? Twelve years ago? Somewhere around there, right? Yeah, we found that game boring. <laughs> well, it isn't for it isn't for everybody, right? It's not it's not everybody's game. It's a tactical level skirmish game, um, which tends not to be the kind of games that that our group plays that often, but. This one is this one was very this one was very thinky. It was very very thinky. It was very much uh, it, it was closer to a Kinesia design than a lot of these games, right? Now, yes, are there dice? Yes, there are dice, but um, it, it was much more chess-like, much more strategic than a lot of games, which is interesting. So the fact that they're bringing it back, this might be you know if you're not into those you know the, those. Uh, tactical games, you know those the kind of skirmish war game type things. This is one of those that that is is a cut above, is it, or at least let's put it this way. I think this was one of the standard bears for a long time. I think this was one of those. Okay, that- I can accept that. The other thing is, we only played with the original base game. Ah. Weren't there um, a bunch of uh, expansions? I seem to recall that. Yeah, I seem to recall that there were there were a bunch. This wasn't my my uh, my cup of tea either but uh i a lot of people i i very much respect i very much respect their game opinions um absolutely loved it and were obsessed with it uh maddie maddie for one was obsessed with it uh this is going to be the second edition and really cool thing they are coming out with a the second edition master set this 50 dollar big set and they're coming out with an online implementation of it as well for only ten dollars uh, which is really interesting that they're doing both at the same time. Uh, pre-orders are up and available. Plat Hat Games are doing it, and uh, pre-orders are going to be going on until May 1st. So I'd go, I'd check it out. There's an online demo that you can try out. Check it out. It's it, it's it, it if you if you like skirmish games, you definitely have to try it. Uh, okay. If, um, where is the online demo? Uh, let me see. Where is the online demo? I mean, um, since we're talking a, about it, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a browser based app, is what I'm being told. Summoner Wars Online. You can Google it and uh, should be able to find it. Uh, All right, great. I will try it. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think check it out. I think listen. Uh, even game styles or game types that I don't particularly love, when you make the the best of that variety, I can almost always try it and be like, oh, wow, that is really good. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's like yeah. the, the best of any genre uh, I, I'm going to have at least some interest in. It's a, And Summoner Wars certainly is is one of those kinds of games that uh, really captured, I mean, it was just obsessive levels uh, for a lot of people back, back, uh, back 10 years ago, and it's good to have it back. Next up, John Company, second edition. Cole Worley has... Uh, taken a look at his John Company design and has decided to uh, do some revamping. Um, I played this game at Essen 
and uh, and bought a copy at Essen, so I got a first edition uh, copy of the game. I've only played it, um, you know, maybe three times, I think. Uh, really? Yeah, it is. It is a it is a very interesting design, and I like it very much. But I don't think it's a great game. Um, ah. What? I said ah ah. Um, like, as in, I kind of got that same feeling myself. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you you played it, yes? Yes, I I owned it, sold it for for a profit. Yeah. Called it a day. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. He talks when he talks about it. He talks about it being in a different style of 18xx game. And the fact of the matter is, is that it kind of is but only when the second half of the game starts. It's like the, there's two separate halves of the game, and the first half of the game is the company running properly, and then the company starts to break down. And the breaking right. down portion is the part that gets 18xx. And for me, it was the, the, the running the company until it breaks down took far too long and was the less interesting of the two. It's still interesting. There's a lot of... you. What I like about it very much is that you see how Cole's mind works, and he's a very interesting designer. I, I think he's he tries to come at games sideways, right? He tries to come at, right. at traditional styles of gaming from a different angle, and when you look at Pax Premier, you see that you see what happens when that's successful. It's, it's crazy good. Um, so I'm really hopeful that he he does a real you know a big tinkering instead of a small tinkering uh, tinkering with uh, with John Company because I thought there was a lot of promise in the design and I hope very much that the second edition is going to crush it. Um, yeah, it, I think it's it, uh, it is coming out this month on Kickstarter. It may be at the end of the month, is what I seem to recall. Or yes, yes, is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. The very end. Yes, at the very end, very end of the month. So keep an eye out for John Company if you're into heavy, uh, especially an 18xx game that isn't a train game is is always intriguing to me. I, li- I like the idea of that. I like the idea that you can separate the genre of the game from the style of game, and I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm always skeptical. Uh, yeah, well, no, I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> Uh, you know the the, uh, the the gaming world is littered with people trying to do a new type of eighteen XX, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, somebody's going to succeed, and if somebody is going to succeed, I, I might put some money on Cole Worley to be the guy who does it. All right. Uh, next up, Everdell. Everdell was uh, was one of these games that really uh, took a lot of us at Game Brain by surprise. It is a simple, beautiful looking game that. Uh, when I read the rules, I was like, oh, I can't believe we're, we're even going to play this. And after a single play, was completely turned around, delighted, and very much enjoyed. It is, you can say what you want about it. It might be a little bit light for some people, but it is a wonderful, wonderfully designed game uh, and fantastic. And guess what? There are two new expansions coming to Kickstarter anytime now. Um, I believe on March 9th. March 9th is going to be the Kickstarter. Uh, these are expansions are called New Leaf and Mistwood. There's going to be new main card decks. There's going to be a train station board. There's new Automa for uh, for opponents if you want to play uh, solo mode. And uh, yeah, let's say this. Um, the base game for Everdale is phenomenal. Uh, the Pearlwood expansion I own and it's slight. I like it. I won't play without it now. 
I think it's very good, but it's very slight. It doesn't really add that much. And the other expansions to Everdell so far have been good, but not overwhelming, right? There, there hasn't been there there hasn't been the must buy expansion for Everdell. So. What, what would I say? I would say when the Kickstarter comes out, take a good long look at Everdell. And the expansions are Mistwood and New Leaf. New Leaf involves a train and uh, and some new mechanics. And Mistwood uh, introduces some of the Spider Kingdom, I believe. I, I believe it introduces some uh, perhaps antagonistic cards and oh, really? and creatures into the deck. Yeah, which is interesting because because that is definitely not part of uh, of Everdell to this day. Everdell is a very idyllic kind of world. There really aren't aren't too many hostiles or anything like that in there. So, right. I don't know. Have you played Everdell? Yes, uh, quite a few times actually. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you like yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Although I was thinking about flipping it when it was because it, it, it's going for some ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, it did. Get, it did get up to crazy amounts, and at a certain point, you got to be like, "Well, do I love it that much?" Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's but that's you. You, know? you do. Some but yeah, music. it's still here. You know. <laughs> uh, in fact, I think you would have seen it either in my last video or my or the video before, because you know I always change my games. On the shelf behind oh my God. me. <laughs> you know what? I a long time ago I stopped looking at the games on the wall behind people. It's like every. <laughs> it's one of those things that that it's it it became so obvious at a certain point that people were curating and changing and making these small little shifts and they were they were oh, creating. No, 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 no! Not those games. Not the big shelf. Just the small shelf where I put like four oh. games. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Because then, like for example, you know, I mean, people kind of like to know what's special. Yes. And those are my special ones. I think that's great. I think it's that's it's a it's a great. You don't have to say a word about it, but you're you're exactly. pl you're plugging some things that you like. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, next up is a solo game. We don't talk about solo games. That's Maddie's territory, but we're going to talk about it right now. Uh, Batman: Dark Knight Returns is a game that's coming to Kickstarter. And it's pretty unique in the sense that it is mostly a one-player game. They they they've uh, kicked it up to a point where they've unlocked a one v one mode, but it is primarily designed as a solo game. Now, listen, it's it's DC, it's branded content. There's a whole bunch of dice. So if you're looking for the the most nuanced strategy game in the world. You're probably going to need to look elsewhere. I will say that it looks good, and a game that is that goes to Kickstarter designed as a one-player solo solo game is kind of interesting. And the fact that it is Batman: Dark Knight Returns, so it is telling the story of Frank Miller's comic series that many people, myself included, consider to be uh, the best, bar none, Batman story ever told. Uh, really. Wow. Well, it, it was it was such a seminal comic. It was like one of the first graphic novels. You know, when comics stopped being comic books and they became graphic novels, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns was one of the very first ones. And I, I still, 
I, I can tell you right now, just in my mind, when I say those words, I can picture 12, 14, 16 different panels that were so stark, so just just unbelievably drawn. And the story, the story is of an older Batman in a world that is is decaying, like he's sort of failed, and he and he's trying to just one last time stave off the destruction of of Gotham and his enemies. Uh, are are numerous and many, and they're kind of like mutants and so on and so forth. And even Superman is his uh, a, a nemesis in this. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Is it what the movie was taken from, The Dark Knight? No, no, it is not. Oh. Uh, he was the Batman is is uh, called The Dark Knight, so you can have a movie that says Dark Knight, and it doesn't mean Dark Knight Returns. And oh, in, in particular, okay. it doesn't mean Frank Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. That's the comic book I'm talking about, or the graphic, okay. graphic novel I'm talking about. It's amazing. Uh, Morgan Dauntonville was one of the designers of this, along with Daryl Andrews. So, excellent. Yeah, how about that? Not bad, right? Um, yeah. Another piece of interesting news: the crew has a new version. I should say. Uh, sort of expansion, but not really an expansion. This is uh, there were two expansions that were put out um, for the crew, but th- they were essentially just a little booklet of extra missions that you could go on. Because as you know, the game uh, doesn't need much more than new missions that lay out different uh, requirements for this particular hand or that particular hand. This one is called the Crew Mission Deep Sea, coming out in 2021. Um, and we are looking for the Lost Continent of Moo deep under the sea. This is a, a new small box game with all new cards and uh, a lot of the same mechanisms, but with some new surprises. Communication in particular, in my understanding, is going to be much more limited uh, because we are submerged. And as you know, communication in the crew is the crucial thing to winning that game, is being able to... Um, I, I hate to tell you this. Uh-oh. I've never played it. Really? I don't, really, really. I, I don't know if it would be your cup of tea, but I would. That's right. <laughs> I think it, I think it might not be. Um, did did you did did you like um, Hanabi? Hated Hanabi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to play the crew with you because I think that this is a, I. It's it's a game that I love dearly, but it's definitely not for everybody. Right. Yeah, it, it didn't seem as if it would be a good fit for me. No, no. So I have not played it. It is a game about communication problems, and with your with your hearing, you already have communication problems. That right. Game, that game exactly. is called Life. <laughs> exactly. So I don't really need that. No, no. Like I said, not for everybody. But uh, mission, De- mission, uh, the crew, mission deep sea. I am very much looking forward to checking out when it comes here. Uh, it seems like it's going to be one of those things where, just like the original crew, uh, is I may, it may already be re- released in the German language version, and uh, they'll try and follow up with the English language version coming up soon. All right. Yeah, but we do- that would seem to be the end of the news, but. I think it's not the end of the news yet, because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> Jennifer, do you have some Maracaibo-related news for us? I do. It's truly amazing. Tell me. It's truly amazing. Um, early in February, um, Alexander Pfister contacted me and showed me a card that's going to be in the Maracaibo expansion named 
Uprising. And do you guys know why it's named Uprising? <laughs> <laughs> why is it named Uprising, Jennifer? Because Alexander Fister, previous, had contacted me and given me four names that the expansion might be. And I said, well, I know two experts in this area. Who might and, those be? Yeah, Pardon? Who, who might those experts be? Tom Donnelly and Matthew Robinson. Because <laughs> this is their job. This is what they do. So they, if you, so if you they, think Maracaibo Uprising is a horrible name, you can blame the hosts of Game Brain because right. we were the ones that told them to call it that. <laughs> right. So then Mr. Fister showed me a card that's going to be in Uprising uh, or the Uprising. Um, and the card name is Revolt. And there's a picture of a black woman on the card and it also has my name on the card. Isn't that amazing? Congratulations, yeah, I mean, I'm still getting goosebumps. It's wonderful. It is yeah. wonderful. I mean, I just could not believe it, that he would name a card after me. I mean, Alexander Fester, right? Yeah, <laughs> dude. <laughs> the, the number one game for, on the Game Brain Top 50 is an Alexander Fister design. We are right. huge, huge, exactly. huge, huge fans. I almost passed out. Huge, huge. Yeah. Now, the publisher has not informed Board Game Geek of the game, of the expansion yet, and that's why it's not on BGG, but right. it's definitely coming. I do have to say, the publisher asked me to tell everybody that, you know, of course, this is the plan, sure. and it might not be in the finish, but, you know, I, I, I'm i fairly sure that they wouldn't show it to me if it wasn't. If it wasn't going to be that, printed. That would be hilarious. Like, eh, you know what? We went a different way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Jennifer Longard. Uh, you and Trey now both have uh, cards in very popular games with uh, with your, your faces on it. But you are the only one that has your name on it. Oh, Trey doesn't have his name? No. Oh, no. Wow. No, the agri <laughs> the Agricola cards do not have do not have people's names on them. Oh no, yeah, no, that's no, true. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's truly truly amazing. I just couldn't believe it. You know, oh, yeah, the other thing, I hate to keep plugging myself, but I I really am going to do a video very soon on the card on Maracaibo bringing in our previous discussion about Black Lives Matter and yep. representation Good. and the alma mater thread. So that, that video is coming. Watch out. Jennifer's going to be throwing some flames. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's always very targeted. <laughs> As well it should be. As well it should be. 100% behind you. Um this if if you're if we're not throwing throwing flames today and we're not then are we are we making the changes to our hobby that we want to see right we right. got we have exactly. to be we have to be calling and, we have to be calling people to account right right and we're, we're we're making them because we want more people in the hobby yes yes and Alexander Fister who got criticism he got criticism for the choice of themes and and game design uh, it sound it seems like from everything we're hearing that uprising is a response to that and could could well be a really great response to that. And we're looking forward to it. Right, right. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Let's get to our games 
on the brain. Jennifer, what is on your brain these days? I mean, I well, know, I know your your newfound fame is uh, is clearly on your brain right now. But what what games are on your brain? Well, the, that the, I have two games on the brain. One is a computer game called Dyson Sphere Program, mm. and it's you 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 make all these factories using intense logistics. And math and ratios and stuff, right? Now, now, when they talk about a Dyson sphere, are you talking about the artificial construction that essentially entirely surrounds a star? That's what you're supposed to be making in the game mm. eventually. Got it. I am nowhere close. <laughs> it seems and like what the... I came to realize just this morning, you know, folks, I don't win games, okay? When I play, I don't win. Okay, it's just like with this Dyson Sphere program. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I still love it. And I still love playing games, even though I'm not good at them. And, you know, it's just, you know, losing, quote, losing or not being great. You know, that doesn't stop me. And if you have ever been afraid, oh, well, you know, I won't win. It doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Just it, enjoy the ride. All, all right. All right. <laughs> Am I right, Tom? Peace, peace, chick. I hear you. All right. Yeah, except Tom wins everything, so you know he's not really. Are, are we going? Are we going back to that? Where, where there was a huge thread on on our Facebook th- thread that was talking about who wins, who wins too much <laughs> in our group. Oh my God! The the amount of <laughs> and now the board game that's on my brain is Hallertau. Now you're uh, playing it more and more and more. Are you are are you growing deeper and deeper in love of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's presenting a conundrum. <laughs> I cannot figure out if it's random and you win, or if it's strategy and you win. There are so many card. There are so many card draws, right? And some of those card draws can be so synergistic with each other that it does feel that once people are at a certain level of play, I do wonder whether or not that getting the right card draw is not the difference maker between a a good game of Hollertau and a great game of Hollertau. Yeah, I don't know, and we keep playing and playing and playing, and I still don't know. Hmm. Because Bruce has come back from bad cards. I've come back from bad cards. I've lost with good cards. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. it's just I've never played a game this much and still had big questions in my mind. I hear you. I hear you. It's... It's a toughie. I mean, I said in my review of of Hollertau, I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know. It's one of the. It's one of those weird things where you play the game and you're like, I should be liking this more. Why am I not quite liking this more? You know, uh, that's that was my. I'm not putting words in your mouth. That's not what you're but, saying at all. But that is what I was saying about it. That, but I do think what you're what you're pointing out is part of the reason that I didn't like it more. Is that I felt that that I was doing the same thing over and over again, and it wasn't quite as pleasing as other Uwe Rosenberg designs have been. 
but I also yeah, do think but that I think it might be it might now Agricola notwithstanding, right? But what's interesting, it's kind of the same thing that happens in Babylonia, actually. Is is there a way to stop another player and help yourself in the same move? And I think that is the key. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll accept that as a strategic implication that I haven't really thought about for that game. I'll have to check that out. I, I, I do. Uh, Hollow Tower is is one of those games where I'm not exactly. It's it's not one of the. Uh, I'm quickly building up a list of the games that I must play once we're back to in face, uh, you know, face to face gaming, and the list is just growing exponentially. <laughs> it's just uh, out of control. <laughs> Hollertau is not currently on that list, but it is, when I think about Hollertau, it is one of those games that, you know what, I do want to give that another shot. I do want to, to go well, back. Well, yeah, there. you should play with me so I can add in all the the profanity. Well, that's that's probably what I was missing. That's <laughs> probably the one thing that I was missing, because I don't know if you've ever played a game with Jennifer, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, picture playing, uh, you know, playing a game of Russian roulette with Marines, and basically that's right. the yeah. mm-hmm. that's the level of <laughs> discourse that's going on there. Um, <laughs> on my brain is uh, is this little game. I think I mentioned in the very first pod, in the very first episode of this podcast. Um, there's a game called the Warlord game. It is this little made. They make them in their garage in England. Little game. And it is basically dudes on a map of Europe fighting a, a war. It's risk with nuclear weapons. And oh, you know, I think I played that a long, long time ago. Um, uh, Games Workshop put out an edition of it called Apocalypse. Right. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. That was the one. Uh, I I still love that game. <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things that that my, when my nostalgia kicks in the hardest, it's for things like Wiz War. And that 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 uh, the Warlord game is is one of those things. And I think now that I'm I'm wanting so badly to be playing games in, in person again, I kind of want to go back and play something nostalgic like that. It's going to take a while. I mean, so the, the is difference this, is this yet another attempt to hold down the number of people that are going to show up. Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm <laughs> listen. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be really selfish when in-person gaming happens again. I'm going to be like, look, I want to play this. If nobody wants to play this, don't come. <laughs> this oh, what... <laughs> oh. Okay, Tom. We'll play <laughs> with you. Uh, well, as far as pitch card goes, all I'm going to do is I'm going to stagger the time. I'm going to say people that want to play pitch card come at 7. People that don't want to play pitch card come at 8, right? I think that's oh, fair. Oh, okay, cool. I think that's, that's fair, right? I think that, yeah, that's yeah. Well, hey, folks, we're gonna do a GoFundMe for the for Tom to rent the 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 Roxy Theater down here in <laughs> LA. Oh, it'd be so. It unfortunately things aren't gonna open up that way. But I would love it if like a bell rang and suddenly everyone can come and game again because we would probably have a pretty huge crowd for that first one. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So the Warlord game is what I'm thinking about. I I just I want to put a lot of dudes on a map and I want to nuke cities. And that's where I'm at right now. I don't know what to say about it than that. I will say that it still has one of the one of those mechanisms that I've never seen in another game that is really unique. You put a die under a cup, and you're choosing whether or not you're 
committing one to six of your armies in the battle. And the other player guesses the number that's under the cup. <laughs> if they guess correctly. Um, you can tell that Tom's from New Jersey. This is a variant of the shell game. Oh, no, I know the shell game. I'm talking I'm talking board modern board gaming. You know what I'm saying? I'm just teasing you. <laughs> you know, back in the day, you would go to New, to New York as a newbie and didn't oh, yeah. know anything, and people would scam you with the shell game. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that the, Tom being from New Jersey, I'm not surprised. Absolutely. You go into New York, and when I was going to New York, they weren't doing the shell game. They were doing the three-card Monty. Right, they were oh, doing, okay, right. which is the same okay. thing, right? It's the same. It's the exact same thing. You're, you're. Right. It's exactly. instead of a pea under a shell, it's find the queen, right? Right. Uh, and and that was fascinating to watch, right? The the whole watch. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. They try to they try to rope everybody in, right? There's a there's a roper there. There's the there's the guy that wins and walks away forty dollars happier, who you know is just a confederate of the of the people, and then the right. and then all the suckers come in and play. <laughs> It's amazing. Like I said, very Tom, y'all. Yeah. So this game, you put a die under a cup. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, here's the thing. In Risk, I roll a bunch of dice, and oh look, I eliminated three of your units, or oh look, I took over the Ukraine. Right? Whatever. It, it there's nothing to that for me. Right? It's like fine. I roll the dice, and I either succeed or I fail. Right. How right. how boring. It's horrible. But. Yeah. When I put a number under the the die, and the other person gets to guess what that number is, and there and it's not like all guesses are the same, because right. if I put a five or a six under there and they guess correctly, I lose five or six armies. I lose a huge number of armies, which means I'm more incentivized to put a low number under that die. But if I do that, you have a much higher chance of guessing that right because you're more likely to guess the one, the two, the three. So the brinksmanship right the the long stares into a person's eyes and say i know exactly what number you have under there i'm reading your mind i guess it's more of the mind reading thing i'm very much into the sensation of mind reading i guess so anyway the warlord game that was mine let's get on to our game review we are going to review winter kingdom winter kingdom is a 2020 release um, the designer is Donald X Vaccarino. If you have heard that name before, it's because you have played Dominion. You've played one of his uh, groundbreaking designs. Uh, the artist is Marcus Ert, and it is published by Queen Games, which means if you want to get this, you've got to go to Queen Games for it, right? <laughs> they're, yeah, yeah. They're very different publishers. Amazon has it in the U.S. Oh, is that right? Okay, good. There is there is no distribution for it, so you cannot find it at a discount. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jennifer, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Winter Kingdom is? Okay, so the first thing is, for those of you who may have played Kingdom Builder, this is a sequel. And what it's doing is there are, um, well, in any given game, there are six hex tiles mm. and each tile has several different um terrains on it yep and um on your turn basically you draw a terrain card and you can put your pieces on that terrain 
However, if you if you have pieces already on the board that 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 terrain is adjacent to, then you must put those pieces adjacent. I mean, you must put your new piece adjacent to those existing pieces. At the start of the game, there will be three ways to score. Like, for example, if you have the most um, the most pieces next to a um, a mountain, mm-hmm. then you'll get three points or how many ever points it is on the card. Or if you have pieces, you count for points your longest straight line or, you know, um, you can count from one space to an edge. And again, those pieces count. And so that is, you know, similar to Kingdom Builder. But what they've done here is they've added three more um, components of, um, I mean, to the game. And one of those is instead of the abilities being on the tiles, which is what they used to be, mm-hmm. and you used to have to put a house next to the ability, now you are dealt but I think it's five abilities. You start off with two and you're dealt five others that no one else can see. Yes. Right, right. And so um, those are your abilities for the game. You don't get any more. And so um, you pay for those abilities with coins. So one of the things that they've added is, is there are several cards, all different, and you only play with one that tell you how to get coins. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, you're dealing with that. And sometimes the ways to get coins is the same way to get um, points, which works out really nicely if you can manage it. But when that happens, you're going to be more you're going to be competing for those spaces harder. Um, And then the other thing that they have added, which can be. You know, which is they suggest not to use for the first turn. I mean, the first play is a limitation. For example, there's a limitation in the game that says that every hex, I mean, every space next to an opponent, you cannot move to. And so in that case, it you know, particularly for the stuff that gives you points for being next to something, that becomes really competitive. Very much so. Yeah, and the game is over when someone runs out of houses. Right, so which is actually just like um, Ticket to Ride, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, but, and like Kingdom Builder. Well, yeah, but I don't like to bring up Kingdom Builder because Kingdom Builder won the Spiel des Jahres, <laughs> and yet... I like Kingdom Builder myself, so... I would say this. If Kingdom Builder were a car, it would be a base model Kia. That's what I think about Kingdom, Kingdom Builder. Uh, I would say more like a base model... God, I can't think of that. <laughs> Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper. That's what it uh, no, because that has flavor. See, if Kingdom Builder were a flavor, it would be sugar-free vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than that. Don't listen to him. Look, if Kingdom Builder were a musician, it would be Macklemore. <laughs> I would argue it would be Brenda Russell, but that's just my opinion. If Kingdom Builder were a politician, it would be Mitt <laughs> Romney. <laughs> well, it's better than... 
being some of the politicians we've known lately. I, I'm I'm not saying it, it's it's <laughs> it's a bad thing to be Kingdom Builder. I'm just saying Kingdom Builder isn't moving the needle. If if final answer, if Kingdom Builder were a TV show, it would be the Weather Channel. All right, it's just. It is, the, or even better, it's I don't the, it's, find it to be that way. It's I the find channel. It, to, it is a great gateway game, too. <laughs> it is, you know, it is the channel is, on a television uh, on the television in your hotel that comes on when you turn the thing on that tells you about the hotel. Oh, please! <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. Look, it's a very basic game. Kingdom Builder is, and some people. It is abstract. Yes, huh? it, well, they're both abstract strategies. Yes, Kingdom Builder and Winter well, Kingdom. I would, uh, I would say that Winter Kingdom them is way more euro-y yes yes well okay so my one of my problems with kingdom builder was that you have to draw a terrain card each round and that tells you where you have to put your your pieces and it came to a point where you could have the best strategy in the world but if you're drawing bad um uh, uh terrain cards uh the game was just very frustrating. You would you would be put into situations where you have to play suboptimally simply because you draw drew this card. Whereas another Are person, you saying, Tom, the game wasn't competitive? I'm saying the game wasn't that competitive. Winter Kingdom, however, is quite competitive. I think that the all the decisions that were made for Win- Winter Kingdom that depart from Kingdom Builder, I think have been great positives. I can I be honest with you? Can I uh, can I can I come clean? When you said you wanted to review Winter Kingdom, my shoulders sagged. <laughs> I was just like, oh, really? Because of Kingdom, <laughs> because of Kingdom Builder. I'm like, oh God, all right, fine, whatever. And my very first play, I was like, wait, what is this? This right. is this is actually quite interesting. This is quite right. this is quite fun. It is yeah. it is a brain burner, uh, it is a brain burner of a game. In which you have in every game not one way to score points, but four ways to score points. Three yeah, of those ways yeah. change every single game, and yeah. everybody's Great replayability. Yeah, it, yeah, it really does. It plus yep. n- n- we didn't even mention the the twist card, right? Right. T- tell us well, about no, the twist. That's card. the card that I was saying that you can't be next to someone. That's an example of a twist. Sure, card. sure, sure. Yeah, but there's a, a ton of different ones. There's there's some twist cards that separate. The, you know, there there are all these huge hexes that have many small hexes in them, and that what that's what forms the board. Great because each one of them is two sided, which means you have a nearly infinite number of different ways of the board. The board's never going to look the same twice. That's right, great. Right. There's even a twist card that I played with once that separates all of those boards so that they no longer connect. Yeah, right. Which was wasn't that a trip? Oh, yeah, blew my mind. I was like, oh, it reminds me of great uh, Age of Steam boards that change yeah. the rules in such a simple and yet elemental way, and the game plays forever different on that board. And yeah. I, I love yeah. that about that. I think that's great. Yeah. So I got so too. Yeah, so in in terms of creating a, a ways to extend the game and and keep it re- and keep it relevant and interesting to you for a long time, um, he's done his work. He's done his work. He's done a great job building that in. Yeah, there's only one problem with it. Yep. That that we've seen. What is it? And that is if you don't, if you aren't um, dealt any cards that let you move yeah. pieces. You are at a disadvantage in our play. That's what we've seen. I, I think 
I think the design of the game is such. I don't think it's I don't think it's your play versus other people's play, um, because placement there there are there are cards of basically two different types. The effects that you have are either placing pieces on the board or moving pieces on the board. And the the trick with placing pieces on the board is no matter how cool the card is, like this one, this one allows you to place pieces on the edge of a board, or this one allows you to play pieces next to the citadels. It doesn't matter because the the base rule of the game still remains, which is whenever you're placing pieces on the board through any action, you must place adjacent to a piece you already have uh, on the board, if at all possible. The move actions are designed to thwart that rule, right? To open up right. strategic possibilities, which is key. Yeah. It's just really key. I, I love that. I love that the placements are constrained by where you already are, and the movements are what allow you to change the battlefield, so to speak, which is really, right. really good. Uh, my negative for the game would be um, it is very AP prone. And uh, uh, listen. Well, stop playing with Elder. Fixes a problem. <laughs> we we have a lot of AP in our group. I have to say, not with me. You don't. Well, you know, you, you start you start yelling at us and punching us in the head, <laughs> and eventually we speed up. But I would say that our game, yeah, guys, group, our group, I'm, you know, I'm it. I'm the the mouth of the uh, group. <laughs> okay, Eric. You know, can I go get dinner now? <laughs> you do. You do that. You do that kind of thing. Um. Well, here's the thing, though. We do. We, we're we're. A, I think that our average playtime as a group is slower than most people's. I do think we ah. do that. I think we have a, a tolerance for that a little bit. And listen, Trey can be can be prone to slow play. Um, Elder can sometimes. I can sometimes. There's a well. Just as a quick aside, sure. There are games that have tempo, like eighteen thirty, right? Yeah, you're going to run into those spaces where you have to think. Even I have to think. Sure, imagine that, you know. But then there are games like Splendor. Yep. And this is not true of Game Brain, but there are groups who AP over Splendor moves, and you're like, this is a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I would put it this way. I would say that that this. This type of game, and, and Trey said it when we, when we played, so uh, Trey, I am not picking on you. It, Trey himself has said many times that I would like to play this game asynchronously because I want to have time to think out my moves often. And he said that about this game, and he's, he's, he said that about a, a bunch of games, that he doesn't really enjoy playing them in a real-time fashion because he knows that... He, he wants to have more time for his turns, and he knows that that's just not good for the gameplay of the group. So right. he's very, right. very aware. Well, I mean, that's why I, I lose is because I don't take the amount of time that I really need yeah. to um, make the best turn. But see, unlike some people, winning doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah. What what means a lot to me is the flow of the game, of getting into the game, of having it move not quickly, but move at an appropriate tempo. Yeah. Then, you know, then I'm always engaged with the game. Yes. When the game comes to a uh, screeching halt, that's a problem for me. I disengage. Yeah. 
I, I and that that is valid, and that's always the balance, right? We have to. How do we balance between allowing people time to to go through their process and feel like they're truly playing the game, and not have the game drag out too long for everybody in the game? And I think you know, I, I think every group probably has to find their their comfort area with that, right? And I think we I think we do a pretty good job of that. I think I think we do, um, okay. but I would say that Winter Kingdom is one of those games that is probably more prone to AP analysis paralysis uh, than most because almost because unlike the tempo of the eighteen XX games in Kingdom Builder, almost every turn maybe the first few turns not so much, but once you get into the game, the permutations of what you can do on your turn can become quite vast. And when well, you're ta- I will say we've played it about eight times. Uh-huh. You learn to realize what doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. as you keep playing, then your 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 permutations are smaller because hey, that's really dumb. So you don't even think that way anymore. But you know, our group plays new games so much it's hard for us to get to that seven or eight play. Yeah, you know. But yep. when you do, because we have we've we played Winter Creek Kingdom quite a bit, then it does speed up. Great. Um, now, what about competitiveness? Is uh, I we noticed in the games that I've played so far uh, that there can be a lot of uh, punches in the nose. My, my yeah. Pick. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And see that is. Part of the AP problem is that you're looking at this as, okay, so what is this player doing? Is there a way I can advance my play and stop this player with one move, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because that's what we're always looking to do, is to do a one move that does two things. Yep, <laughs> at best, yes. Yep, and so, you know, that is going to, you know, make you probably slow down for a while. But, you know, I don't know. Um, Bruce is an AP, and he wins all the time. So Bruce is maybe, a deliberative player. He's not, he's not slow, but he's deliberative. He'll 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 spend he'll spend a, he'll spend a little bit of time thinking about what yeah, he wants to do. But you know that's the point. I don't mind you know a few minutes, but when it drags on, yeah, and you can see they're doing every single possibility mm. in the game instead of you know how like you would say, well, this is more likely to work and this is less likely to work. So let's just eliminate the less likely. They won't do that. Yeah. Uh, this game does have a chess-like feel in some ways. Yes. It is mm-hmm. very much a, oh, wow, if I place people here, here, and here, and then I do this move over there, I'm often thinking three or four moves ahead. I'm thinking, well, that'll open up a little beachhead over in that area, and that'll allow me on a future turn to do this or this. Right. Exactly. So Exactly. And, and you really want to do it so that you have choices. Yes. So if someone like Trey comes along and takes away one of your choices, yeah. you still have a plan B. Yeah, if you have a joy thief like Trey, um, uh, then you are going to need to plan around that. <laughs> Trey, <laughs> and Trey wasn't even picking on you in the last game. It was Trey and I were at he each other's throats. He was very nice because he saw that I sucked. 
Well, you, there was no you, point in him picking on me. You he had a weird game. You got yourself you got yourself caught in a in a in kind of right. a spiral. You were stuck in the same areas. And it right, was... right. No, I just um, tabletop simulator is hard on me. Yeah, I hear it. It just is, you know. And so I don't. I mean, again, that's a that was a situation where every turn I would have had to have taken at least five to ten minutes. I'm not gonna, you know. I need to go to bed. <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that, you know. But yeah, tabletop simulator. I just have a hard time with it. If you liked Kingdom Builder, um. I'm sorry, you made a bad choice. That was a bad game. But would you stop that? <laughs> if you like Kingdom Builder, you will likely love Winter Kingdom. If you didn't like Kingdom Builder, like me, I think you might be surprised by Winter Kingdom. It is well, quite a good I game. I will say this: yes. if you like the simplicity of Kingdom Builder, you're not going to like this. Ah, yes, yeah. If if Kingdom Builder felt like it was a little rules heavy for you, then you might not like this. Um, it's not that this is rules heavy though. It's pretty no, good. It's I can not. teach it in 10 minutes. Really? It's, it's a fairly quick teach, but, uh, yep. the permutations, uh, become vast very quickly. Kingdom uh, winter kingdom is a very good game. It, it is a game for people that like chess, like games. It is a game for people that like abstract strategy games uh, p- for people that like a bit of a puzzle in their games. I think all of those three categories of people would love winter kingdom. And I did not think when I walked into this, that I would be giving it a positive review, but I very much am. And Jennifer, <laughs> you are as well. Is that correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, well, as I say in my video, I almost canceled it because I'm like, oh, did they mess up Kingdom Builder? But no, <laughs> they made it much more like a game that I am normally attracted to. That's so funny. We both had trepidations on opposite right. sides of the coin. I oh, was no, like, sorry, if this is it, you were like, if this is if this is too far removed from Kingdom Builder, I don't want it. And for me, I was right. like, if this is anything like Kingdom Builder, I don't want it. <laughs> Well, you see, and he found the sweet spot. He found he found the the intersection of the Venn diagram of our two opposing positions. Exactly, (laughs) win win, baby. How about that? Uh, Let's get to our member segments today. We're going to be talking about competition. What what is what is competition? The way you're talking about it, Jennifer. What are we talking about here? When I talk about competition, for me, yeah, competition means that. People, each player has a a fairly equal chance of winning a game based on their skill set. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Versus, you know, competition, let's just get to the most basic game, tic-tac-toe. Sure. Right? And, you know, tic-tac-toe technically is competitive because you can lose tic-tac-toe. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Right. I mean, yeah. ostensibly, if you know, even even moderate level of play, no one ever loses. But I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. It, yeah. So, I, well, I mean, you were starting. We started off talking about this a little bit, and and Tom was saying all games are competitive, and I always, anytime people say all in games, I always go to tic tac toe, and I look at it, and I say, does that work for tic tac toe? And I said, you know what? He's right. Kind of, yeah. I mean, the the act of playing a game is is to some extent trying to you know, a non cooperative game. 
You are trying right. to win, and th- that is inherently right. inherently right. competitive, at least at some base level. And even the right. co- even fully cooperative games, you are competing against the game itself. Right, exactly. Or you know, many of them are are like that. So for me, being competitive again is that everybody can bring their skill set to the table, and you know, depending on how skilled they are or how much you know, they understand the game or whatever, then they can win. Right. And so, you know, um, we were talking earlier, and, and for me, a competitive game, you know, it's it's different. I can say the mechanics, but held up as a separate entity, they, it's not quite like that. So, the the more information you have about your own um, position and the other player's position, the more likely it is to be a competitive game that I will enjoy, right? The less hidden information, conversely, mm-hmm. um, also means that I will enjoy it more. Although I do enjoy some games that have hidden information. You know, um, Agricola, if you don't draft, has hidden information. No one knows what cards you've got. Sure. You know, even with the uh, draft, you only know what, you only have a certain amount of uh, a certain subset of information about what people have. Right, and Winter Kingdom, no one knows the abilities that you have until you play them. Yep, Right. yep. Yeah, and then the other thing is randomness, right? Mm -hmm. So, and random games can be competitive, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite games is Lisboa, and several things in that game are random. Yep, yep, yep. The, the, the rubble that comes out in a particular place, yep. Right, exactly. But because it's perfect information, the randomness doesn't interfere with the with the competitive nature of the game. Now, On the other hand, mm-hmm. when you have a game like um, a game I recently played, um, okay, well, I have this card, and if I, if this other card comes into my hand, I get 20 points. Or if a player plays a card and then I can grab it, I get 20 points. But no one knows that I have this card mm-hmm. and the chances are very low that I'm going to draw it. That let, is the kind of randomness that irritates me. Let me, uh, let me see if I can... I'm going to state this in a different way and tell, me okay. whether, and tell me whether or not what you're saying is in agreement with this. That um, there are games in which I am ostensibly competing against you because we are both trying to get the most points and the most points at the end of the game wins. But the way I get points has almost nothing to do with you. It has almost everything to do with what the game has given me and how I'm using that and solely my own work. But also it has nothing to do with you either. Yes. It well, only has to do with the game. Well, no, not exactly, because you still have to recognize what the game has given you and figure out a way to maximize it and well, so on and so forth. in this right? particular case, yeah. I was dealt a, game, a card that gave me, if I, have a, if I get this other card, then I would get 20 points. Mm-hmm. But if the game never gives me the, the, the card, card... You don't get the 20 points, yes. Got it, got it. As opposed to a game in which... I am aware of the game state 
And in order for me to win, I am not just simply maximizing what the game has given me, but I am also aware of your state. I can also see the opportunities that you have before you and my right. and my play can be uh, equally or even more so countering your moves as they are benefiting my moves is that right right and i wanted to bring up some games okay. that um you know expresses so okay we've talked about keyflower i know we did a review right yeah well let's let's talk about keyflower in in this sense because it's it's an odd duck right it's kind of in between yeah, but it's fine in the way in using the variant. So with Keyflower, the original rules, which are still the 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 base rules, the okay? official the official when rules, it, still yes. Yeah, is that anything that is that you take from the boat goes behind the shield? Okay, and so when I'm playing against you, unless I have great memory, or and especially if I'm playing with five other players who are also taking things from boats, then I don't know if what I'm doing is helping me or not, because you may have more of that color than I remember you having. Yeah, for, for people that don't know Keyflower... Essentially, Sorry. a lot of it is – well, I'll just give a super quick description. Uh, it is essentially a bidding game where you are bidding on tiles that you are putting together into your tableau and then using those tiles to gain points. Um, in the game, there are me meeples, and those meeples are your bidding items for the most part. There are also things that can activate your spaces, but primarily – they are bidding things. There are two ways to acquire them. You can acquire them um, through things being on tiles that you acquire and on these boats at the, that happen at the end of each round. Or you can acquire them by reaching into a bag and grabbing grabbing tiles out there. So, Which is to say that there are both visible ways that you can get tiles and invisible ways, ways that are hidden. And what Jennifer is talking about is that the game's base rules said that once you acquire all of these meeples, they all go into the hidden space behind your little player screen. And Jennifer, uh, would, this is one of her contributions to the hobby that we don't talk about a lot, but she said, no, this is not how it should be. She created a variant that is a much, 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 much better way to play Keyflower. It makes the game so much better. And it was so good that the that the designer, uh, Richard Breeze, uh, made it the official the, the official variant, right? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's basically, there's a group of us, of us pioneers, who, and the, who, which included Dave Eisen, who actually was the first one to come up with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Once Seen, Always Seen. So since all of us saw the meeples on the boat, then we should still continue to be able to see them. Okay, so what this does is, oh, okay, well, Tom only has two blue, blue meeples. And that, and so if I put out two blue meeples, he can't exceed my bid. So now I care about what Tom has or what Matt has or what Paul has, you know, yep. because I can make a competitive strategy based on that. The other thing that's really cool in that particular game about that rule is now when I can get 
a power or a tile that lets me go into the bag and put stuff behind my shield. Well, that is a competitive advantage, right, Tom? Yeah, that the previous way version of the game left too much into, well, I don't really know what anybody else has. I got a vague sense that Trey has a lot of yellow. I got a vague sense that Jennifer has a lot of red, but I don't know how many, I don't know what their situation is, where if you have only a limited amount of hidden information, but everything that you've already seen is kept out in front of you, then I have a much better sense of the, you know, I have enemy intel. I know and, I, I, yeah. I know I know the relative strength of the enemy. I don't know have perfect information, but I have relative information as to what the what the enemy is doing. And those decisions are just better decisions. Those are right. right? More competitive. You're competing now instead of guessing. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm hundred percent in 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 agreement on that. I think that that is uh, so let's say that as far as some mechanics, uh, make games more competitive in the sense that we're talking about it. And when we're talking about competitive, we really are talking about player versus player. And we're not just talking about... When people say player versus player, they tend to mean I punch you in the nose, you punch right. me in the yeah. nose. No, no, no. But no, we're not no, talking no. about it yeah. that that sense, right? We're talking about it yeah. in, in much more of a general sense of I can see your plans as they're evolving and my moves are not just moves for to make the best plan I can make, but are also taking into account what you need and figuring out ways that I might be able to slow you down. I, right. I, and for you and me, old school gamers, you know, that's that's a that's a common thing. And I think that's a deeper level of play when you're when you're right. factoring in what other players are doing for for you and me, I think that's just a much more satisfying version of a game. And for some yeah. people for some people, and, people who love rolling rights, it's probably not what you're looking for, but... Right, exactly. You're looking more for the experience, which is fine. Yes. You know, this is not to, you know, gatekeep or anything like that. Tom and I are just talking about what we like. Yeah. And so I'm going to go back really far back in the day, and I'm going to talk about Civilization, the board game, not the computer game, the board game, mm-hmm. the original board game by Francis Tresham, and I was a co-designer on Advanced Civilization. One of the things that uh, Avalon Hill, Don Greenwood, wanted was a competitive civilization game. The problem with the original civilization is it was focused entirely on the AST, and given that the game, you know, abstractly, represented the world, right? We're talking Egypt and Africa, well, Northern Africa and Assyria, Babylon, Mm -hmm. Thrace. These countries actually existed and on the board, they had appropriate geography. Right. right. So, so to to oh. to clarify for people that don't know, sure. Um, civilization, first of all, was the civilization video game that you've played came from Civilization. It was that was one of the inspirations of it. Uh, the AST that Jennifer's talking about is called the Archaeological Succession Table, and technically speaking. Sorry. No, 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 no. So, no, look, you're just inside baseball, and I'm just trying to to give people that you know that don't have Thank our that, that that don't have your breadth of experience a window into what you're talking about. So, I'm Thank just gonna, I'm just going to be your translator. No big deal. Uh, right. 
<laughs> um, the archaeological succession table basically worked this way. All of these ancient uh, peoples start with a little civilization in their little corner of the map, and we all start at this one place on the archaeological succession table. At the end of the game, whoever gets the farthest on the archaeological succession table wins, but in order to advance to the next space on the succession table, you have to meet certain requirements. Certain things have to be done and have to be met. And in proper play, and by that I mean competitive play, a lot of times what that means is making is hurting a civilization so that they do not advance on this turn or that turn, um, which is yeah. interesting. Interesting play, but advanced civilization is the is the game that made that kind of play much more robust. Well, it brought competition because the way that Egypt and Babylon were implemented in the original Civ, yeah. they could not meet the requirements as easily as the other countries. So they were always behind because they always had to stop to meet the requirement the next round, whereas the other countries did not. And that was a big problem in competitive play because if you had six or six people yeah. for the original somebody had to have one of those countries and the game took all day yep so you start at a competitive disadvantage yeah was it was so, it really was it really egypt and babylon that were yes uh, it was those two okay yep. good yep yep so so with advanced civilization that the ast just became another source of victory points yes yeah, and, it, it was no and, longer the 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 racetrack by which you determined victory. Right, exactly, exactly, and that brought Egypt and Babylon back into the competitive fold. Yes, and so you know, I'm just you know, for for me, um, particularly, I mean, in these days, there's just, I mean, I I'm sure there's some old schoolers out there still playing the original Civ, and there's many of them, like uh, Mark of um, So Very Wrong About Games, who you know really likes the original better than the advanced. I, I still but, own the original. <laughs> um, I still own the original. Yeah, well, well, you have to for advanced Civ, but um, you know, many of us wanted a more competitive game, and, and it, nowadays to ask someone to play a game for eight hours, knowing that you probably can't win from the start, is a lot to ask. Yeah, that's a, that's almost less about competition and more about uh, about the uh, a problem of balance, which in, in those older games tended to to creep up. But more often than not, it creeped up simply because there were very few games to play, and so right. we, we would play these you know games what? again and again. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah, we would play them to the point where we basically knew that there were openings in civilization that were as complex and as scripted as chess openings they, they were right. you know if you're if you're crete here's you're you're gonna have a slow build but here's what you do the first thing you do is you you do this and then you do this and then you do this right. and right and and that's the that's the way that game was it was right it was amazing and and it just to to reminisce it's funny how people are upset with the scripted openings of food chain magnate right 
I yeah. mean, for me, that's just, oh, yeah, that's how it works. It didn't bother me a bit. No, right? I mean, I like what I like very much is, is that they intended in Food Chain Magnate to have three to four scripted openings that were equally, right. that were equally valid. And they yeah. found out that they actually only had two. Right, and so the ketchup, uh, the, the ketchup expansion, really made a third very, very valid. So suddenly, uh, opening with sales and advertising became a very valid strategy. And I'm, I'm right, uh, and that makes the game what more competitive. Yes, yes, because you know? yeah, well, yeah. S- simply yeah. if you have two starting options and each of those branch out in two different ways you go from two to four to eight and so on and so forth if you have three to start how much quicker do the variations uh, expand like a a crazy amount a crazy amount uh, more which is really really interesting um let's talk about what mechanism in terms of the competition that you and I are talking about now, and that is being able to see what another player is doing, and one of your calculations is not just what is best for me, but also what is going to slow the other person, uh, the other right. person down. Because you can only win if everybody else loses. That is <laughs> so true, Genghis Khan. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> So area majority, I think, is a mechanic that is inherently competitive in the sense that we're talking about it because it very right. right. It is very much a king of the hill. I see that you are winning in this area, in this area, in this area. Uh, I think El Grande has some wonderful things where that where a person right. will a person will be getting four points per round simply because they have a lone unit in this small little place, and everyone is battling with eight and ten units in this place, and it only scores seven points, right? I know. <laughs> so there there are opportunities in in that, but there very much is the, the what is best for me isn't always simply what is best for me, but is also for taking the person who is scoring so much down so that I can have yeah. time and to catch up. What was kind of heartwarming, I felt, and maybe this is just a feeling, mm-hmm. that many of the games that came out of Essen 2019 were area control. Some people say, oh, well, area control just means whoever gets their first win. And I'm like, nope. no, not today. Uh, yeah. 20 years ago, that might have been true. But I think area control has been refined to the point where it is way past whoever gets their first wins. I mean, El Grande didn't have first person their wins. That's definitely not the way El Grande plays. So I I think that some designs – there is a the first person in has a uh, has an advantage. How much of an advantage depends on the design, right? But but even right. uh, even all the way back right. then, it wasn't always that way. But yeah, I, I was. Right. I, I also mean, was like Babylonia. I was the first person at this one, you know, villa or city or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They just ate me alive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there there are situations in which the you know bash the leader and such the first player to the first player advantage becomes a first player disadvantage to some degree. Right, exactly, but exactly. Be you know I don't know I happen to really like area control. Yeah, so I'm all in on on on, on that. Hundred um, percent auction. 
I would I should say is another uh, auction is a mechanic that a, a lot of times used to be in games and we don't see it much anymore. It may be it, it, that may be the next thing that's due for a comeback because auction, yeah. an auction is an interesting thing. First of all, it is a self balancing mechanism. It takes things that are unequal and balances them because people are uh, expending resources to put a value on them, right? Which is right. which is good, right. but it yeah, also. I- that power grid is probably the reason for not having as many auctions because it it rewards experienced play. But at the same yeah. time, Keyflower, particularly if, if you play with my variant, um, the auction, you can see it. You understand it. You don't need to have played Keyflower 30 times to understand that, you know? Yeah. If I put out three and he only has two, he's done. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and, and it and it is a very competitive mechanism, right? You are right. you are bidding against other people. Only one person is going to get this thing that you're bidding on. How much more? If it's that much more important for you to have it than me, how expensive am I going to make it for you? Right? Like right, I'm right. essentially exactly. handicapping. And handicapping what is your my point. board position? Yes. The- yes, exactly. What is your board position? Right. Yep. Totally. So, um, what, and of course, player elimination <laughs> as a mechanism. I don't know why it's included as a mechanism. It's barely a mechanism at, at all, but uh, is, is, is player elimination has largely gone the way of the dodo bird, right? Well, you know, that's really, it's partially because people have such bad memories of Monopoly when you're playing and you know you aren't going to win, but the other person playing, or well, you know, what I mean, because they have boardwalk and park place and all the greens, mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of when will you be eliminated, right. and that's bad design, okay? Yes. That's unsocial, really bad design, you know, right. and then you have player elimination in diplomacy, which some would say adds spice. To the game, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's completely. But <laughs> it's it's also it is also a weird thing to the modern state of our hobby to say, right. all right, we're gonna get these seven people together. This is gonna be awesome. Before you show up, I want you to just read some of these articles. These are strategy articles that tell you about how to play your particular power and all that sort of stuff. Just block out the day. It's probably going to take us about eight hours to play this to play this game. Maybe more. We'll see. You come, and an hour into the game, you have been stabbed in the heart and in and in the back by two of your best friends, and you are out of the game. You've spent four hours studying. You played one hour, and you're dead. <laughs> it can right. be- and it's all player agency, which makes it worse. Oh yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, I mean, like, like. Oh, I know what I was. The other game I was thinking about, which is not competitive, if you play it mm-hmm. by the written rules, Zia, right? So if we play Zia for three or four hours, and this happens and that happens, and then someone rolls twenty on the twenties, I to die, and they won. Yes, you're talking about Legends of the Drift system. Yes. Yes. Zia. Yeah. No, it, it it is it is a game that tries to be a game and tell a story, and in, in my experience, does kind of fails at both. It tries to. It I tri- would agree. Right. It tries to please two masters and never quite pleases either of them. Really. No, because the competitive player is like, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. 
totally, totally, <laughs> totally agree with that. I, I think, yeah, I think there are mechanics that, you know, that, that don't lean towards competition in the way we're talking about. I think chaining, right? There are that, that chaining actions and chaining cards. Right. That's essentially an action that is me working my own little engine, right? And it tends right. to not be looking outward, looking at what the other player is doing, right? Right, and it's very irritating in Dominion, and it's truly <laughs> irritating in Dominion when they do it, and they and it's not going to help. Oh, right? yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that that's that's rookie play, right? Rookie play is is get twenty villages and right. end up getting almost no points from it, right? <laughs> no, it's just passive aggressiveness. Yeah. Right? Well, I I understand the impetus. I understand the fun of putting together a clockwork. I get that. Um, but that's, that's when we talk about competition, that's not what we're talking about, right? That's exactly, that's more of a solo puzzle fun than a group. Fun. Right. Or, you know, you know, just to see if I can do it. And, you know, you're like, do you realize there's three other people yeah. sitting yeah. here at the table waiting for you to play your 20 villages to get your silver? Yep. 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 Totally agree. Totally agree. So, uh, so let's end with hidden resources because I think that's that's another mechanic that tends to not foster competition but can, right? You said that. Right. So, so to me, it seems to me that hidden resources is can be good or can be bad, but here's here's the distinction. If I can watch what you're doing and predict what your hidden resource, what your hidden victory point card, what your hidden condition right. is, then that is that could be very good competition because then I'm studying you and trying to figure out the secrets that you hold. And that's great. Well, isn't that what Through the Ages is really about? Kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, not, yeah. not just through the I don't, you know, games. The games that I enjoy, I don't mind having the hidden objective card because they give focus to yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But the good games, you, you aren't married to them. Yes. Right? Yeah, no. Kind of like the 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 um, hidden objectives in Marco Polo, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or Twa, right? Yeah. Twa mm -hmm. has that hidden thing. and. You know, Twa is a good example because when you're playing, and you actually both of them are. I can see where you're building. You know where you're building in in Marco Polo. I can see the things that you're focused on in Twa, and if I'm paying close enough attention, I'm like, wow, he could have gotten more points doing that other thing. Why did he focus on that thing? Oh, I think he has that scoring card. And in those game, and in that particular game in Twa, the cool thing is that. The secret victory condition card that you hold counts for everybody. So by paying right. attention to what they're doing, you it means something. Yes, yep. you can draft off of it, right? You can right, right. But the other thing about objective cards is that you have it, you kind of get started, and then you see an opening, and you go, you know, if I go that way, yeah, I lose the objective, but this is the moment, right? Mm -hmm. I have to take. And I probably will get more points than the objective card. Exactly. Exactly. Those are great moments, by the way. 100%. Those are some of my favorite moments. I'm really glad that you brought up competition because it's almost one of those topics that you think, well, of course games are competitive. What, what is there to say about it? But there actually was quite a bit. 
Thank you, Jennifer. Tom is very, very competitive. (laughs) But I like that in, in, in Tom because we can sit down and we know what we're about, right? You know what I mean? Is there an undercurrent of character assassination going on in this podcast where every episode um, somebody feels the need to cut me down? Be who you are, just like Kobe Bryant (laughs) said. Be who you are. So funny. Jennifer, thank you. That was a great, great segment. I really, really liked it. Um, Shall we do one board game sommelier before we go? Yes. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, Abu? You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. All right. We got an interesting one today. When we first, when when Manny and I and, and the rest of us were, were coming up with the format for this uh for this podcast, uh, Game Sommelier was one of the first things that uh, that that we talked about. Um, and when we discussed it, we were saying it should be one of these things that, just like a sommelier, what what's the wine that pairs well with this food, right? It's the, we were picturing the questions being, I'm in this situation. What's the game for me? And over the time. We still get a lot of those, but a lot of times, you know, we we've gotten different sommelier questions, which I'm very very happy about. This question we're about to get is probably one of the most specific sommelier-type questions you could ever have. Chris Logsdon wrote, I just sent this to GameBrain directly, but I wanted to see what suggestions people might have. I'm starting to narrow in on what might work best for my game group, specifically in this time of online gaming. Hoping you might have suggestions. Here's what I'm looking for. Has online implementation, number one. Supports up to five players, number two. Plays in two hours or less, number three, and that's online time. And he, he, he remarks TTS, Tabletop Simulator, inflates playtime, which it definitely can. Uh, encourages, requires, evokes lots of table talk, number four, and doesn't involve checking tons of small scattered board spots or moving tiny pieces, which is a huge pain on TTS. That is a laundry list. That is, it is so, uh, thinking about it, it is really, really hard to come up with something that that checks all of those boxes because right. some of those are somewhat yeah. contradictory, right? Some the of the five player is just a. I just don't play five player games. I love five player games. I, I made a point of collecting as many five player games as possible because, as you know, at, at my game night, lots of times the number we end up with is nine, ten, uh, you know, right. and, and exactly. all that sort of stuff. So, so having a, a five player that 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 plays well is crucial, crucial to us. Um, what are your What are your first thoughts? He said that uh, that games that they like that don't have that don't apply to the criteria are Age of Steam, Root, Pax Pamir, uh, Hansa, City of Big Shoulders. Uh, any Any thoughts? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I have a well, b- bunch I of questions. For but. me, I don't play online that much. Yeah, and so. You know, the TTS environment, in my opinion, limits five-player play because, you know, for me, five players can sometimes mean too much AP, and you end up with AP on TTS anyway because you're always scrolling the the screen back and forth, right? So so true. Yeah. So So I'm not going to be a person that's going to want to play a five-player game on TTS. That's fair. Now, you can play online – 
on 18xx.games, and there's a lot of five-player 18xx games. Sure, but do they play in two hours? (laughs) Yeah, that's a problem there. Yep. You know, can you get it done in two hours? Probably not. So, I don't know. I think we should ask the professor this question when it's his turn. I think it's a good idea. I think he might have a lot to say. But for the time being, I'm going to give you these answers. Okay, so first of all, there is Board Game Arena which is everything is scripted and put together. And unlike TTS, which does take playtime and make it last longer, uh, BGA, I play games that I would normally play tabletop in a much shorter period of time. I think games go a lot faster on Board Game Arena. Um, And here are some great games that play up to five players and probably play in around two hours. Uh, Keyflower is on Board Game Arena. We just talked a, a lot about it. It is a fantastic game. You should definitely check that out. Um, and because it has a lot of bidding, you were talking about table talk. Keyflower's got a lot of table talk. Like, what did you do? Why? You don't even need that. Why did you bid on that? <laughs> a lot of back and forth, a lot of negotiation. Uh, Kalis. Kalis plays five players. It plays five players very well. Should be playable. Normally, it would take a lot longer. But uh, and on BGA, I think that could be accomplished in two hours. Definitely with the provost moving back and forth and all that sort of stuff. And uh, there's a lot of table talk that goes on with that as well. Uh, In the Year of the Dragon is a very good one. Uh, Hawaii. I bought my copy of Hawaii from Jennifer, who sold it to me me on the cheap. I still love that game. I think as a a medium weight, yeah, I I don't bring it out very often because we tend to like heavier games. But as a medium weight Euro, I think it's very a very good design. I like it very much. Um, and Stone Age is another game that is also on BGA. All of those play five players. Uh, all of those are playing online and, and take about about two hours to play and are pretty table-talking. They're pretty fun. On mobile, Terraforming Mars plays five players, ladies and gentlemen, and that is a really great one. And Concordia is going to be coming out on mobile devices in the third quarter. And, man, that is a perfect five-player game that plays in two hours or less. Um, and then last but not least, you mentioned Tabletop Simulator. So I'll give you Tabletop Simulator because things take longer to play. You really have to watch what games you choose. Here are my choices for games on TTS. Santiago, I already mentioned, very quick game. Super deep. Tons of table talk. If you heard the, earlier when I was talking about it, you can hear the possibilities of table talk on that. Uh, El Grande. A five-player classic that plays pretty quickly. Bonanza, the uh, the Uva Rosenberg's first hit, is a game that uh, a card-based game plays very quickly and is a lot of fun and involves a lot of negotiation. Uh, Francis Drake probably can play in that time period. And last but not least, Genoa uh, always got to put one negotiation game when you want something with a lot of table talk. And those are my suggestions. I, I think. Um, not every one of those suggestions fits all five of your criteria, but I think most of them fit at least four. So hopefully that will do. I hope you I hope you like that, Chris. And thanks for thanks for sending in the the the, the uh, request. I really we really appreciate getting good and thoughtful uh, game smaller requests. And and that was a hard one. And, and uh, I want to encourage people. Bring us hard ones, right? Try and, st- <laughs> try and stump the sommelier. That's, that would be a great thing to get because I think we're up to the challenge. I think we're up for it. Uh, Jennifer, 
It is always a pleasure. I like the fact that that we have a tradition now where you are the first person to go in the in the new round. I think it is is fitting very much, and I always enjoy I enjoy your your uh, your comments, and I very much enjoy your company, and look forward to the day very soon where you and I can be gaming in real life across from the table yep, from each other. Yep, and you'll be pounding me into the floor as usual. Oh, come on. It's not about winning. <laughs> it's about the experience of playing blah, 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 exactly. blah, 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 blah. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm the one showing up, right? That's right. That's right. You know, are you a glutton for punishment? Maybe, but no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't it, feel like punishment. No, it's not. It's fun. It's fun. I, you know, exactly. Even the person, even the person in on the Game Brain crew that wins the most, and we don't know who that is because we had a big debate about it. Uh, even that person wins wins maybe twenty five percent of the time. Right? You're still losing yeah. three times I mean, out of every but four. Again, why? Because we play competitively. Yes. All of us. Oh, except Paul, who only plays to break the game. And maybe Dimitri, who wants to move the game along. Maybe <laughs> I Dead on right, on both counts. Dead on right. Except that, <laughs> but, that Paul isn't just about breaking the game. He's also about breaking the player. So. Well, you know, <laughs> he's not breaking me. But No. Oh, Jennifer! Wonderful, wonderful! Congratulations again on your uh, uh, on your YouTube channel, and congratulations on your um, uh, memorialization in Maracaibo. Looking very yes. much forward to that. Me too. Can't wait. Thank you very much, Tom. Not at all, ladies and gentlemen. We have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash c forward slash gamebrainpod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel that are very active. Please come and check them out, and please get in more of those board game sommelier questions. We really do love them, and you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Edomar for doing our amazing graphics and Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks so much for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games. Mm-hmm.